Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources and veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and Mike Powell as we discuss how to support and take care of the people in your business for ultimate success. Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. These businesses want highly engaged employees and they do whatever it takes to make this happen because they know that highly engaged employees lead to more growth, client loyalty, and profitability. Veterinary medicine is a challenging profession, but it can be so much easier if we build business cultures that attract and retain the best people. Subscribe to Hire the Smile for great discussions on taking care of the people that make us all better. Hi, I'm Mike Pownell, and welcome back to Hire the Smile, the podcast from Oculus Insights on everything HR in veterinary practice. And as usual, I am joined by my sidekick, Katie Arline. Katie, how are you? Oh, just dandy, Michael. How are you? Uh, you know, just living the COVID dream. Isn't life fun? Getting tired of asking people, what'd you do this weekend? Nothing. 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 Yeah. That subject is actually really appropriate for what we're going to talk about because back in March when COVID first hit, we thought, oh, life would be back to normal by the fall. And it's not. No matter where you live, it is still really a big, big, big factor. So we wanted to talk about resiliency. And I think this is a subject that you really wanted to talk about. Uh, and I think it's a great subject. But what, what sparked your interest in this now? Uh, I think just with, I mean, up here in Ontario, Canada, we're sort of well into the second wave of COVID and it's uh, proving to be more serious than the first wave as far as case numbers go. We got into the new normal and restrictions were lifted and now restrictions are happening again and in some cases more uh, restrictive than they were in the first place. So I was thinking about what that means for the folks that we work with through Oculus you know, or we have uh, some small animal veterinary practices that are going back to the teams concept where they've been blended for a few months, they're having to go back to teams and just thinking about how the effect that that has on, you know, staff and veterinarians and, and really practice owners on trying to navigate this thing uh, that even after eight months or however long it's been, it's still throwing curveballs and it's still proven to be quite disruptive. So I thought resilience was a, a good topic to talk about because you sort of talk to practice owners and talk to the staff and they're all just very stressed and burned out. And it's like, well, what can we do to help these people? So uh, that's where the, the uh, genesis of the idea to talk about resiliency came from for me this week. And I know you've been doing uh, a lot of employee engagement interviews too. And employee engagement is a survey that we do at Oculus. And part of it is, an, is it's an anonymous online survey, but a real critical part are personal one-on-one -on -one interviews. And I know for the last couple of weeks, you've been doing a lot of those. It's interesting because I've been doing them for a couple of different practices and it's interesting to hear uh, even just the difference in tone uh, between, you know, practices where uh, they might have been doing things uh, more transparently and, and keeping staff more informed versus those who don't. Uh, and it really does have an effect on the staff. So, yeah, it's been quite interesting. So let's start. You have an article and I have a podcast to talk about. So let's start talking about your article because I think the podcast will complement what your article talks about. All right. Sounds good. So the article I found is from a website called hrdive.com. Uh, the article is called How to Train for Resilience. 
It's by Aman Kadawi, and it's from early November 2020. So the basic premise of the article is that they talk about uh, what resiliency is, and then they talk about the best way that that companies can help foster resiliency uh, within their staff. You know, I think a lot of the time you look at people who are able to bounce back from adversity and you say, well, that person just has that innate ability to be resilient and to come back from things. But uh, what this article is really stating is that resiliency can be taught, it can be trained into people, uh, you know, but there are other factors that go into making sure you have a resilient organization. The big thing that they start talking about is that the leadership, and you know, we always talk about leadership and talk about uh, the awareness that leadership has to have for what's going on with their staff. But it's very important that the leadership needs to be willing to actually hear feedback and then take action to support the staff, uh, depending on what the feedback is. You know, really creating a, an environment where staff are encouraged to talk about mental health and bring concerns forward. Um, and have uh, have the leadership take that seriously and not just say, oh, this person's dramatic or the old, this person's, quote, emotional or whatever people say when they're, they're trying to dismiss how people are feeling and how people are, are uh, you know, waking up every day. So that's a big thing to keep in mind is leadership really has to be on board with this and has to understand the value of having uh, an open environment for staff to talk about their mental health. Um the article goes on to say there are three key attributes that contribute to resiliency in people. So uh, thriving in uncertainty is one, self-compassion is one, and obviously also cognitive agility, which is responding to challenges with a clear head. Uh, so they talk about if you have these attributes or you work on these attributes, that you have uh, a greater capacity to put pressure into perspective and to respond to challenges. And they talk a lot about how challenges are, uh, it's, it's so painful to, to hear sometimes, but challenges are opportunities. And it always seems so. I remember, you know, hearing leaders say that and you're in the middle of a challenge, you know, like it, you can take that, you know, stuff those uh, <laughs> challenges in a sack and take your opportunity and shove it where the sun don't shine. But really it is an opportunity to, you know, change, pivot. Like what can we do differently here? Maybe we can come out of COVID better off than we were before. And it's really hard as a staff member who's working day to day to hear that, but it's not necessarily something that is um, off the wall as far as a possibility goes. You know, we can lead to innovation, um, you know, I'm thinking about maybe you have some thoughts about ha what's happened already in vet medicine, but I'm thinking, you know, the the rise of telemedicine and figuring out how to make telemedicine work mm -hmm. has been something that's really risen up. Do you have any thoughts on that, Mike? Yeah, I think telemedicine is giving a lot of opportunities to practices. I know, I mean, there are those practices that have adopted it and all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, what have we been missing? Um, I know one practice that they almost have uh, uh, two vets going full time, you know, they're swapping days. So every day there's one vet doing nothing but telemedicine. And it is, A, it's it's making it better for them because there's less, less traffic in the clinic. But I know one of the, this one gentleman was talking about, he's like, we were ready to have to build a whole new practice because we were bursting at the seams. And he said, with telemedicine, we're now realizing we don't have to see as many patients in the clinic. And we not, might just have to do a minor remodeling of what we have rather than a multi-million dollar new investment in a whole new facility. So talking about 
making lemonade out of lemons. Like this is really like, this is going to change our practice for the better. And that Mm -hmm. was pretty exciting to hear. Yeah. I think that's a great example. That's really interesting. So, you know, the article goes on to talk about how to cultivate uh, resiliency within a company. And they recommend that individuals are given space to take steps to take care of themselves. So really encouraging people to sleep, to exercise, to spend time doing activities that bring them joy. Uh, And, you know, if you make time for those things, then you're better able to cope. You know, and I was thinking about this point and it sounds wonderful, but I was thinking about it in the um, context of something like, you know, maybe equine medicine or even small animal medicine where, you know, the, the day is scheduled from eight to four, but people aren't getting home till eight or nine at night. And then they're coming back in at eight the next morning. You know, how can we, how can we as companies think of different ways that we can schedule things or think about ways that we can really listen to people and give them the time that they need? I don't know that if you have any thoughts on that, Mike, but I think it's, this is one of those challenges where as leaders, we have to say, okay, well, I need to look at my model and am I willing to figure out you know, how this is going to work in the lens of my profitability. But, you know, maybe I have to book less appointments in a day and make sure that staff leave when they're supposed to leave. Because in the long run, I want my staff to be healthy, and I don't want them to burn out and, you know, perhaps have to seek time off or or whatever the case may be. Do you think it's worth it in the long run to try and, and cut things back now? So people have more time to breathe, and they have more time for these, these activities that help them cope? hundred percent. And it's interesting you bring that up because I've been having a lot of thoughts about that, even within my own practice. I mean, we're a bit short vetted at one practice and it was like, well, let's bring in another vet to help out. And then it's sort of like, well, you bring in the other vets to help out and then all of a sudden they're working at Mm -hmm. maximum capacity. So all you're doing is perpetuating this kind of vicious cycle to keep up. We were in a similar situation with a client that we're working with and, you know, they're talking about having COVID teams and what would happen if one of the doctors became positive or a member of the team became positive. I was like, we got to shut down for that 10 Mm -hmm. to 14 days, whatever the health department says. And instead of saying, well, let's make the other team work harder. I'm like, no, we're just going to burn them out. And then it's just going to be worse. And so I think there comes a time in a business where you have to have that long-term view. And sometimes you've got to take short-term pain. And so, you know what, maybe those days where that one team was supposed to work, we shut down or we, we just do surgeries that day, something, but we can't do what we want to do. And I think yeah. the, not necessarily the COVID health, but I think the, just the mental health of our staff has to be the first thing we ask when we're making a decision is how it's going to affect them. Cause I've been guilty too often of just like, Oh, we can do it. We can do it. And, and piling things on and piling things on and people can handle it for a short period of time, mm-hmm. but there comes a cracking point. And that cracking point is remembered for a long time. And so I'll have conversations with people and they'll bring up things from five, six years ago. And I was like, those things have a profound impact on people's lives. Yes, They do Absolutely. not forget about them. And so over time, the pain of it lessens, just like a lot of things that happen in life, but it's still there. So mm-hmm. since then, you know, in trying to be more self-aware, I've really, I'm trying to like, okay, we, we may actually have to restrict the hours in a day or not do as much to take care of our people. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about how COVID hits people in different ways and you have staff with young children, 
who maybe have to take time off because their, you know, their children are sick and they can't go to school and the parent has to take time off. And then you have the people who don't have children who, you know, aren't exposed to COVID and they come in and work and they are the ones who are picking up the pieces. And I'm not saying that one job is harder than the other, but we have to remember the effect that that has on people, uh, you know, and absolutely, you know, how long can people really withstand that kind of pressure? And I don't think it's fair to, to ask them to either, you know, this is a different time and we might have to think about things a little bit differently. You know, I think vet medicine is, is very, very, um, fortunate in how busy things are everywhere across the board, but that doesn't mean that it's like, you know, you're standing in one of those telephone boxes with money flying around and you're just grabbing it all. Like, no, we have to think about this a little bit harder and make sure that we're doing the best thing for our staff. hundred percent. I mean, right now we're busy. I mean, we are uh, busier than we expected to be this time of year, but at one practice, I mean, we, as I said, we are, we have been short of that, uh, and, you know, there's solutions happening. We have a new vet we'll be starting in a couple of months, you know, that's something to look forward to. But in the meantime, like everybody else, they're just tired. And so, you know, what we're doing is, uh, you know, they're taking whole weeks off now, uh, which is time that they're owed loo days and what have you. But all of a sudden from going from four vets down to three, we're not saying, okay, you have to work longer days or we're going to just jam in the day. No, you know what? We're probably going to lose a week's worth of revenue from these vets uh, taking this well-deserved rest. And that's what we need to do because, Definitely. you know, we want people to be here forever and to have a profession and burnout rate in vet medicine is really high. At the same time, I wish, and I'm still working on a better solution because we we tend to think of the of the veterinarians as taking the brunt of this, but our support staff is taking a lot of this on their shoulders too. So we're still working on ways of you know allowing or, or making sure that our support staff has some time away from work. Uh, unfortunately, they're mainly on hourly wage, and so we got to do something and that's something that we're working on right now. And maybe over the holidays, that will be the best opportunity for that. Yeah, definitely. And I think the other thing to think about in that context too is, you know, I think it's wonderful that uh, you have veterinarians who are, are taking those weeks off, but really making sure that they understand that they're not letting the team down when they take time off. You know, that's, I think that's very difficult because they care about who they work with and they know what it's like when it's a short staff type situation. But you know, it just doesn't do anybody any good. And you're really reassuring them uh, that this is what's best for the team. And, you know, nobody's going to begrudge you taking time off right now. Yep. I'll get into that teamwork idea when I, when I talk about the podcast on resiliency that really uh, resonated with me. Okay. So, um, you know, they talk again about wanting to foster healthy, empathetic environments. Uh, and, you know, talking about how mental health should be at the center of business strategy. And I thought that was an interesting concept uh, because it's not necessarily something that comes into play, you know, thinking about how the policies that we make are going to affect people's mental health, um, thinking about how we manage them, thinking about the things we say, thinking about the overt and covert signals that we're giving people when we're making business decisions. Uh, I think we just need to be a lot more careful and a lot, like the article says, a lot more empathetic and uh, thinking about the effect that this has on human beings, not just on the bottom line. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so then the article goes on to think, talk about uh, thinking about the value of having a manager that's resilient. So if you have a manager who uh, is able to deal with stress uh, in a healthy way 
and they are modeling behavior like uh, taking time, you know, physical pursuits, uh, doing what they need to do to take care of themselves, then people are going to have a very different experience at a company under a resilient manager uh, versus one that isn't. You know, if you think downstream, you, there's the old adage of people don't quit jobs, they quit managers. And I think, you know, part of that's a bit uh, hackneyed as far as the saying goes, but part, that's true as well, though. You could work the most wonderful place in the world, the company that's very supportive, but if you have a manager who isn't walking that same walk, then, you know, you don't want to work there and you can have a very different experience than somebody in the next department over who's uh, who has a manager who's modeling the behavior that you are hoping to see in the staff. So I think that can't be underestimated, making sure that the managers are a resilient bunch as well. Uh, the next thing they talk about is self-compassion uh, and, you know, having empathy for themselves. And I think this is a big thing. And this was interesting for me to read, uh, you know, thinking, having, helping people understand and training people to help them understand that when they have a setback, that's not like a total failure or a con condemnation of their entire business life. Uh, you know, it's part of normal life to fail. And how you come back from that and how you frame that in the greater um, picture of what, you know, your body of work or whatever you want to call it, you know, we can't dwell on those failures. And I think as, as employers uh, and as managers, we have that, um, we have to be able to, you know, address something that happened, figure out how we don't have it happen again, and then let it go and not have it come back. You know, not mention it a month later. Oh, remember, well, there was that time when you dropped the ball on that thing and you failed. And, you know, people know when they failed, they don't need you to remind them. So I think that's really important as well. But I think that really brings into having a culture of mistakes are where we learn. Mm -hmm. I see too often in businesses that practice too that we're embarrassed to fail. We worry about repercussions when we fail. And honestly, they should be celebrated sounds like a strong word, but you know, I think of some of the things in our own business that we do and we do well and we get great customer feedback on. It's because we screwed up somewhere down the road and we learned from it. And yes. we thought, this will never happen again. So you got to love the failure. That's part of a bigger picture of having that. Uh, and it comes from leadership as well, not trying to figure out, okay, whose fault is this? But, you know, how can we make sure this doesn't happen again? You know, you assume that you have staff who are trying their best at all times and they're not, you know, on purpose messing something up. It's like, okay, well, let's look at our processes. Let's look in, and uh, at our resources and and make sure that this just doesn't happen again. For sure. Uh, you know, it's all just information. It's not bad or good. It's just information. Yeah. Uh, and so the article sort of wraps up by saying, uh, really underlying that employers have the responsibility to support people holistically. So, you know, not just in what uh, people can do for the company, but also what the company can do for the people and really how they can uh, help the people thrive and be able to take the time that they need and be able to be productive and, and tuned in and engaged at work uh, and not just grind them down uh, to bone mm -hmm. in pursuit of the bottom line. Yeah. And you brought it up earlier, and I had this sort of as a question, you know, I think employers have to consider that there might be a financial repercussion here, at the outset, at least in, in changing processes and policies so that staff have more time to recharge. But, you know, down the road, having staff who are happier, having staff who are engaged, having staff who aren't burnt out, the ripple effect is so huge, you know, in customer service and 
productivity and all of those things. So, you know, I think it, it kind of comes back a little bit on HR to uh, prove ourselves with metrics. Uh, we talked about that a little bit a couple of podcasts ago when we talked about the employee engagement and the and the effect that it has on on the bottom line. But I think it's something that we can't ignore. And we can't just, you know, say, oh, that person's emotional, and they just can't deal with stress. Like, no, that's not good enough. We have to do better. We have to create these environments where people feel like they can take a breath. I have a question for you. So, you know, I, I read about, I hear about, we, we both know practices that, you know, it's tough times. And so, you know, they're bringing in, you know, pizza Fridays, or they're bringing in lunch, and, you know, trying to, you know, to show appreciation, but is that enough to help people recharge and be more resilient? I go back and forth, but I love to hear what you say. You and I have not talked about this. It's interesting because, you know, I'm doing um, some employee engagement survey interviews now, like you mentioned. And one of the questions is, what does appreciation mean to you? Like, what does that mean? And uh, the overwhelming majority say that appreciation to them means that people recognize and say, you did a really great job today. You know, and that's not just like you showed up and you put clothes on and you came to work. Uh, it's more like, you know, you really, this was a really tough day and it was the schedule is packed so tightly, but you really helped me make this happen. It's that kind of heartfelt appreciation that people are looking for, you know, things like, um, gift cards and food and, and those things are appreciated, but it's almost to some extent, uh, if you're not doing things to really help people, uh, and listening to them as far as what they need to help their mental health and to help them build that resiliency, then it's kind of like lipstick on a pig. It's almost a lazy way to, you know, it's like, oh, well, we bought you guys lunch. And it's like, well, that doesn't help if I don't have time to eat it. <laughs> you know. So I think that that's a really good question. And I think we really need to talk to the staff and see what they appreciate and see what they they like. It's like, I guess, yelling and not that I have kids, but you can't yell and scream at your kid and then buy them an ice cream and everything's fixed. It's what? it goes beyond that. It I, know, so, I, guess, it I don't think so well for me when I was growing up, <laughs> but you know, in the long term, you know, then it's just, it's not, uh, it becomes hollow. So I think we have to be careful that we're not just sort of leaning towards one area of appreciation over another. I mean, everybody likes free food, but is it having the effect that you want? It's hard to recharge when you're at work eating pizza and you're, you're hearing the pager and you know you've got a client waiting for you. It's just, exactly. you know, nice yeah. warm food. I like that, but oh, can I just go home early? <laughs> exactly. Uh, before we get to um, my article, I'm just going to pause because we have a new sponsor for the uh, Hire the Smile podcast. So we'll be right back after this brief pause. Veterinary practice would be so much easier if all we had to do was treat our patients. Instead, we also have to deal with the realities of running a business, keeping and retaining staff, attracting new clients, and maintaining profitability, to name a few. Veterinarians also struggle with navigating and managing the always-on mentality clients expect of them, while trying to maintain a livable work-life balance while also managing student debt. When you add in the uncertainty and volatility of the world outside our vet practices, the business aspect of veterinary medicine can take away the pleasure of being a veterinarian, practice owner, or manager. Fortunately, we have a solution. Advice by Oculus provides online personal performance coaching and business advisor sessions that are convenient, accessible, and confidential for the veterinary profession. 
Personal performance coaching can help anyone develop confidence, motivation, and engagement. Your coach helps you identify what is holding you back and how to overcome these obstacles so you can reach your full potential. If you are struggling with your career and the negative impact on your personal life, personal performance coaching is for you. We all know it can be very lonely leading and managing a business. Often we find ourselves having to make decisions that can have a significant impact on finances, staff, and the overall health of the business without the confidence that we have considered all options before making our decisions. Having a personal business advisor with the experience and education for veterinary business management can help you clear a path to business success. We have been in your shoes and know what it takes to move forward. It's as easy as picking your advisor or coach and booking your time. It's all done online. And for a limited time only, we are offering a 20% savings for all first time Advice by Oculus users. Advice by Oculus, consider it like telemedicine for your business or career. So yeah, we're all very excited about our new service, Advice by Oculus. Uh, Hope people check it out. We get a lot of satisfaction working with people who have been doing this, and we sort of built this idea of doing this service from people we have been already doing uh, video consultations with. We thought, let's just open this up to the world. So so a couple of Fridays ago, it was a long week. It was a tough week. Uh, I was driving somewhere, and, and one of the challenges I have working from home primarily now is I don't get to listen to as many podcasts as I used to. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sort of historically going through my podcast. So this one was uh, the HBR, Harvard Business Review, IdeaCast, with former Army helicopter pilot Shannon Huffman Polson. And what a remarkable woman. She's the youngest woman ever at the age of 19 to climb Denali, the highest mountain in North America. She's one of the first women to pilot the Apache attack helicopter in the United States Army. And she has since launched a successful corporate and consulting career as well. And she's the author of a new book, which is, I've got it already ordered, the author of The Grit Factor, Courage, Resilience, and Leadership in the Most Male-Dominated Organization in the World. So I thought this was interesting in a couple of levels, and we could probably have this as a basis for several podcasts because most business owners are male in the vet profession, and most young vets are female. So there's a little parallel there. Mm-hmm. So she defines resilience as uh, dogged determination in the face of difficult uh, circumstances. And she says, you know, what's going on in today's environment where the ver- the future is very uncertain, uh, where the horizon is especially unclear, uh, and we're working in these un- really ambiguous environments that uh, dogged determination in the face of difficult circumstances is really key. Um. And so, you know, she talks a lot about her history and being in the military and getting to be where she is, because of course she got a lot of resistance, a lot of resistance, but how she talks about, and she, this is a lot of stuff that has been researched with the United States military on resilience. So kind of makes sense that the military would want to understand resilience, but she talks about the whole person, and it, we have, and she says, in terms of developing your own story, and it sounds a little airy fairy, but as you get into it, you're like, you know what, this makes sense. And so you're basically, you're that person, and it's a lot of self responsibility of deciding what your narrative, what your story is going to be. You can't choose the raw material, but you can decide what you're going to, how you're going to use that 
raw material. And so what she says, and this is what really resonated with me when I was listening to this podcast, and it really made this week, this really was an uplifting way to end my week, is, is really starting to have a focus on that end goal and focus on what your purpose is as you as an individual is owning your story and drilling down into your core purpose. And, and when you're fo- focused on your core purpose, uh, and just it, that helps you succeed because you have that motivation and what you're doing is contributing. It helps you make decisions, but it helps you, you know, hunker down and get that grit to be going on. And, and so she, she starts talking a bit about a story and how we understand information really is in the form of story. And so to make sense of our own story, she, you got to understand the places where we grew up, understand our strengths, understand where in the past we overcame obstacles, uh, become part of how we can approach future challenges or even current challenges. Um, you know, how I got through a really bad time before and developed the strength and moved on from that. And I think I was like, oh, okay. And so what her argument is, or what she says, is that uh, resilience is a muscle that can be developed. Uh, Some of us have it more than others, and some of us use it more than others. But really, as, um, you know, starting with resilience, you know, taking sort of like small steps with it, you learn from past experiences what worked, what didn't work. Uh, It makes you, you know, by using resilience and developing that resilience muscle, it makes you more resilient as you go along and you're able to take on bigger and bigger and bigger things. And I thought, wow, that's one of the things like, I got to read this book because there's really uh, fantastic stuff. And so what she talks about, and this is what the military works on, is that, you know, there's that journey line or a lifeline, looking at your own experiences and understanding where you came from and what you have and the skills that you have. Uh, And this sort of, it was what what I found fascinating is, is when we talk with businesses is, hey, get your values, get your core core purposes, that's going to help you make your decisions and help you guide you as a business. And then she's like, as each of us as individuals have to help that. And because um, by having that, it informs us of what we're good at, what we're not good at, and it informs us of where we need to go. And that gives us the strength to do that. So I thought that was a really unique approach. Then they talk about how to develop your resilience. She said there's a three-step process. The first is understanding that committing that you're going to do it, owning your story, drilling down to your core purpose. The second is learning. The third is launching. So um, when it says the second phase uh, is learning, uh, one of the things she talks about, and this is why I referenced that in your article, is developing your team. Because you need to have that people that will support you and you need to have a team. And she says, you know, um, those of us who have a bias towards action, who really want to do stuff, we think we can do it by ourselves, but that's not sustainable. And so going back and using that real world example of having that supportive team, and I was giving the example of that one practice I have where vets are taking a week off, that was a team decision. And so when we were saying, is that, you know, are they going to feel bad? But no, they all realized it, that they needed to do it. And we're hundred percent supported by management. Like, yeah, you need to do it. So I think that was like, that was that team aspect in real world. Finally, she says, you know, in terms of doing it, launching it is that the more you do it, you get better at doing hard things, you, you know, and it's, and it sounds like, as she says, it's very trite to say is, but 
every time you do something, you just got to challenge yourself a little bit more to get better. So that's how it is like working out in the gym or you as a runner would recognize that you got to push yourselves and you keep on getting better. If you just, you know, sit back and go, Oh, tomorrow, tomorrow, I'll do it. Then you'll never get that. Yeah. This really reminds me of, uh, I don't know. Have you read any of David Goggins's stuff? Mm -mm. No, I haven't heard that name before. What? You don't know who David Goggins is? I, Good sorry. gracious. I know. I know. Uh, so he is a former Navy SEAL, and he has an incredible, incredible story. I, You would love the book, Mike. You need to read it. Um, and he, he basically talks about how you have to callous your mind. And, you know, this doesn't take away from the need to take care of yourself, but when things are challenging, you have a decision whether to rise to that challenge, assuming that you have the tools and you have the um, mental and emotional capacity to be able to do that. But each time you're challenged, you have the decision whether you want to write your own story on this or you want to let the story uh, dictate uh, itself. And, uh, you know, he, he came through some incredible obstacles. It's like amazing the stuff that he's been through, you know, to become a Navy SEAL. And he went, they have like a training camp called BUDS. And he did it like three times because he, uh, his body was trying to break down and he kind of got bumped out and he came back and it's just that he, he really talks about, you know, every, every challenge is an opportunity to callous your mind and to grow. And this is sort of along the lines of, as what, uh, your gal is saying here as well. Yeah. There's something in it. When I first heard about military, I'm like, how is that going to apply to everyday life? And I was like a lot because that's resilience on steroids. Hopefully, uh, people listening to this um, picked up some nuggets that they could apply to their own hospitals or clinics to help with their own resiliency, but also give opportunities for others within the organization. For sure. Hey, let's talk about our wins and fails. What do you got this week? Okay. So my fail, without getting into the politics whatsoever, uh, my fail is uh, the situation with Donald Trump's former lawyer, uh, Sidney Powell, and the situation where basically she said some things about uh, conspiracy theories that uh, Trump and his team couldn't countenance. So she basically got bumped off his legal team. And there was a whole, whatever, the chatter around that I'm not so interested in. But to me, the take home message here is do your reference checks. (laughs) So you can weed these people out before they're like, you know, trying to defend your presidential run. I'm definitely not talking about the politics whatsoever, but like, hello, do reference checks and know who uh, you have on your team. So that that's my fail uh, for the week. Uh, my win for the week is uh, how the Miami Marlins baseball team in Florida Uh, basically broke one of baseball's glass ceilings by hiring the first female to be uh, a general manager of the baseball team. She's also Asian-American. So her name's Kim Ng. And, uh, you know, she is is well-versed. She has 30 years of experience in the majors. Uh, You know, she she worked her way up from being a, a White Sox intern in 1990. She was an assistant GM to the New York Yankees. VP and assistant GM for the LA Dodgers. So she has all of this history. And I think it's just uh, wonderful for 
professionals everywhere and particularly women in sport and professional sport, which is so notoriously difficult for women to break into and, um, in any kind of administrative or oversight roles, I think it was, it's, this is really a, a watershed moment for this, uh, you know, women and, and busting glass ceilings. So that's my big time win for this week. Excellent. Yeah, that was a good one. Mm-hmm. Pretty happy to hear that one. So I have a, a, a fail. So I was reading, this came up, uh, one of my, uh, nerdy news groups, and this is a, a CEO of a Midwest America health system. So he's head of large, large regional health systems. And he had COVID earlier in like seven months ago. And now he says that I don't have to wear a mask and I will not wear oh. a mask because I'm immune from it for years to come. And it is such a conflicting message of a leader of an organization in a very hot spot right now. And you're trying to get the community to wear masks and the government of those communities are saying we need to wear masks. And the head of a hospital group says, nah, I don't need to. And it's gotten so bad because the chief operating officers and there's press releases from the, the hospital group saying, oh, that's a personal opinion. It doesn't reflect what we're saying. Wear a mask, wear a mask. And I'm just like... As a leader, you got to walk it. You got to do it. And it, it just, you know, I just found how disheartening must it be for the frontline workers, doctors and nurses when their boss is like, no, nah, you don't need to wear a mask. I don't need to wear a mask. I'm okay. Because it, it just, I just thought big, major fail. Like, what are you wow. thinking? Really? What are you thinking? But my win, though, a really interesting win. So I was, uh, I was found an article a while, a while back, uh, equine related, talking about race in the veterinary profession. It was an equine practitioner is non-white, and in equine practice, only about five percent of practitioners descri- are classified as non-white, as opposed to eleven percent in the vet profession at whole which is far less than like the 25% in North America. And so so definitely there is an issue with race in our profession. And so just announced this week that there is an initiative organized by the American Veterinary Medical Association and the Association of American Veterinary Medical Colleges that is going to be, uh, it's headed by uh, a, a vice president and chief medical officer from Zoetis and the dean of the Tuskegee University College of Veterinary Medicine. And their goals is to start working with academia and to make our profession more diverse, equitable, and inclusive. So I thought, yay. So took mm. baseball many years to do that. And I think it's great that the vet profession is recognizing that. So I wish them all the luck. So that is my big win of the week. Nice. Good one. Yeah. So, hey, well, thank you very much, everybody, for listening. If you have any questions, um, please let us know either on Facebook or you can email us at info at oculusinsights.net. Check out our uh, just Google advice by Oculus and see what we're offering there. And we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Right on. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. At Oculus Insights, we care a lot about animals, but we also care about the health of the veterinary profession. Our goal is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success.